Good morning, RP. Great job, kiddos. That was awesome. That was so cool. Um, This morning, as we have the kids in attendance, I thought our scripture reading could be a little little different this morning. We're going to throw a show on. Anyone want a show? Yeah, I know Eden does. Eden said, I showed Eden this a couple days ago, and she said, make sure it's loud enough for everyone to hear, Dad. So, Brad, make sure it's loud enough. Stories of the Bible, the Transfiguration. This is Jesus, who is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. While Jesus was on earth, he taught everyone about God's love and healed people from their sickness. He did many miracles like calming storms and even raised people from the dead. One day, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up a high mountain to pray. As Jesus was praying, he was transformed so that his face shined like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus about how he would leave from this world. Peter didn't know what to say, and they were all afraid. So he said, Um, excuse me? It's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But as Peter was speaking, a bright cloud came over them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son, who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified and fell face down on the ground. Jesus came over and touched them. He said, get up, don't be afraid. And when the disciples looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone. Oh my God. As they went back down the mountain, Jesus told them not to tell anyone what they saw until they saw that he was raised from the dead. Okay. So they kept it for themselves, but they often asked each other what he meant by rising from the dead. Yeah, it was. <laughs> that was good. Any chosen fans in the house? The show? Oh, yeah. Okay. So if, if you don't know, The Chosen is a show where they, they, t- they take the life of Jesus and try to do the best job they can with the help of biblical scholars to reenact the story of Jesus and his followers. They use some historical fiction to fill in some of the time gaps and character development with their own creative license. Some people don't like that about the show. Personally, I love The Chosen. I think they do a marvelous job. And after every episode, I find myself loving and adoring my Savior more and more. One episode they haven't gotten to yet is Jesus' transfiguration. I can't wait till they get to this episode. I mean, just in the life of Jesus, so many places, right? Like, they, you would love to just be a fly on the wall 
Or, or, or like Aaron Burr in the, the musical Hamilton says, I want to be in the room where it happens. We got some Hamilton fans in here too. <laughs> or in the case of the transfiguration on the mountain, when it happened, the mountain, when it happened. <laughs> in First Peter, the apostle Peter himself says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Speaking of Jesus' baptism. Then he says, we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Of course, speaking of his transfiguration. I think of all the things that that Peter must have seen in the few years of Jesus' ministry. But with these words, eyewitnesses to his majesty, the transfiguration had to be near the top of his list. The apostle John, who likewise was on the mountain when it happened, wrote this in his own gospel account. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the father. The transfiguration was one of the ways in which John got to see the glory of the son of God. Now in our non-denominational churches, we usually don't pay much attention to the liturgical church calendar. We celebrate Advent leading up to Christmas, Good Friday usually, and and Easter, but that's usually about it. Well, this week is when the Capital C Church celebrates Jesus' transfiguration, and it's been celebrated for centuries because it's a big deal. So this morning, this fifth Sunday of the month, as we have our kids in here with us, I want to take one more break in the book of James. We'll finish James next week, and then Pastor Mark will be here after that. But today, we're going to look at Jesus' transfiguration. In other words, this morning, we're going to stand on holy ground. My question for you, before we jump into this passage, is this. What Jesus have you encountered? Kids, what Jesus do you know? Or or, or let me ask you like this. When you hear the name Jesus, what comes to your mind? Because this Jesus we are about to experience in Mark chapter 9 should take our breath away should cause us to fall on our knees. And when we catch our breath again, holy, holy, holy ought to be our cry. And your will be done ought to be our prayer and life's pursuit. So if you would, please open your Bibles to the gospel according to Mark. The gospel according to Mark chapter 9. Mark 9. We'll start in verse 2 this morning. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. Now, apart from the 
passion narratives using precise times in the Gospels doesn't happen too often. By noting after six days, Mark is trying to say something rather important. Now we can speculate all we want, but we don't exactly know which mountain this is. It's undisclosed. If, 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 you, if you know the name of this mountain, please tell me. I, I will name my third child that name. <laughs> But we know from Luke's version of this event that, that Jesus took them up there to pray. What eventually transpires on this mountain, bright lights, shining face, dazzling clothes, a cloud where God's presence thunders. Well, is there anyone else in scripture that's coming to mind right now with a similar experience? Anyone? No one? Kids? You guys know the books, huh? Moses. Yes, Moses. Indeed. Yes. So let me read a couple verses from Exodus 24. This is when Moses meets with God on Mount Sinai. Aaron, the priest is with him. And so also the brothers, Nadab and Abihu starting in verse 15. Then Moses went up on the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, so after six days, he called Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now back to our passage, Mark 9, verse 2. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain. What Mark is getting at is this, that on this new mountain, we have ourselves a new Moses. Let's keep reading. He was transfigured before them. Verse 3, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. This word transfigured, very, very rare in the New Testament, only shows up three times. It's from the Greek word metamorpheo, where we get our English word metamorphosis. And kids, when you hear that word, metamorphosis, anyone thinking about a, when a caterpillar becomes a, a butterfly? Yeah, that, that's metamorphosis, right? A change of form has taken place. Transfiguration is a good translation. The prefix trans tells us we're going across, right? If we go transatlantic, maybe we're going to Europe. If we go transcontinental, we might end up in New York, Jesus was transfigured before them. In this moment, Jesus doesn't become something new, but rather he reveals something that had been concealed up until this point. There's another perspective or nature to his person. When Jesus was eight months old, he was a dependent little baby, right? His, his mom probably feeding him and dreaming about what her son would become. She couldn't see that as a baby, her son, Jesus, was holding the world together by the power of his word that was concealed. We love Christmas, right? Any, any Christmas fans in here? Come on, kids. Yeah. Josh. Christmas is the celebration of Jesus' birth. When the son of God became what he was not, a man. But as a man, the son of God never ceased to be what he has always been. 
namely God. You tracking with me? And here on this mountain in Israel, Jesus, whose glory or divinity had been concealed under the veil of his humanity, is transfigured. One perspective, Jesus' humanity gives way to another. His divinity. What Peter, James, and John get to see on this mountain is the full deity of Christ. Could you imagine? What a scene. Mark says his garments intensely white. I don't care how good your dry cleaner is, he says. No one can get your white tea as fresh as this. You guys remember when when Moses was on Mount Sinai and he he longs to see God's glory? This happened in in Exodus 33. So, so, So he begs God, if you remember, please show me your glory. What a prayer. And you remember what God does? He he says, Yes. Yes, Moses, I'll show you my my glory. I won't show you my face, because you'll die. But 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 go hide in a rock. And as I pass by, you'll see my backside. And that's what happened. Do you remember what happened to Moses when he came down from the mountain? You remember what was going on with his face? Right? It was like the opposite of acne, right? His face was shining. His face was shining because Moses saw the backside of God. His face shone like the sun. But this shining light coming from Moses' face, as glorious as it was, was a reflective light. God was the source. But on this new mountain, with this new Moses, something entirely different is taking place. Matthew says, Jesus was transfigured before him, and his face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. Jesus, unlike Moses, was not simply reflecting God's glory. The bright lights coming from this mountain was from the source itself. What Peter, James, and John witnessed on this mountain was the glory of God in Jesus, the Son of God. What had been concealed was revealed to them. They encountered God. God on this mountain. And I thought summoning a 14er was as glorious as it gets. But it's not over yet. Look down at verse 4. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking to Jesus. Now, this is a bit odd, and we're not going to go into details since Moses and Elijah were long gone before Jesus came on the scene. But, but what could Moses and Elijah possibly be wanting to talk to Jesus about? Well, Luke's account actually tells us. He says, quote, they spoke about his departure. Greek word exodus. This new Moses on this new mountain is speaking with Elijah and Moses himself about a new exodus. This is the day that these brothers had longed for. And this Messiah was now here. And they were having a pregame chat with Jesus about his coming death, his coming exodus. 
And look who decides to jump into their conversation without an invitation. The man who just one chapter ago actually rebuked Jesus because Jesus was talking about his death. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Of course, it's Peter. Who who actually gives me and others who tend to speak first and engage our minds later great hope. Look at verse 5. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents. One for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say. For they were terrified. Now, of course, they were terrified. They just experienced the glory of God on this mountain. And sometimes we know Peter knows just the right thing to say. Again, one chapter ago is when we have the wonderful confession. You are the Christ, he says. Peter believed Jesus was the Messiah. What had not clicked yet for Peter up until this point is how the Christ this king, this Messiah is going to usher in his kingdom. And Peter sees the dazzling lights and he thinks, now this is what I'm talking about. No more talk about rejection and death and rising from the dead. Let's get this party started, Jesus. Let's usher in this kingdom now on this mountain. I'll set up the tabernacles. You, Moses, and Elijah, you all will have your place to dwell. What do you want to eat and drink? I'll send John down the mountain. He'll he'll grab it for you. Let's take out Rome already and do this thing. In Matthew's account, he, he tells us while Peter's still speaking, God the Father can't take it anymore, so he interrupts him. Look at verse seven. And a cloud overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. Just when this moment couldn't get any more awkward, Peter is interrupted by the voice of almighty God, the father himself. And when God, the father says, listen to him. He's saying something extremely important about who Jesus is. When John the Baptist, if you remember, is being questioned during his ministry as to who he is, he's always being asked, are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? These are the two characters that Israel was hoping to one day see. Malachi promised another Elijah who would come before the great and awesome day of the Lord, ushering in the Messiah himself and his kingdom. The prophet, well, the prophet is the Messiah. In Deuteronomy 18, 15, Moses says this, and it was this promise that all serious Jews were longing for. Moses says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. It is him you shall listen. So when God the Father from this cloud that is overshadowing this epic scene says, this is my beloved son. He's saying that the prophet, the long anticipated prophet 
has finally come. And he comes in the person of Jesus, the Son of God, incarnate, fully human, and now, like these disciples have seen, fully God. When the disciples look up, Moses and Elijah, who also represent the law and the prophets, are no longer there. Jesus only. It's only Jesus who is with them. Jesus, this new Moses, is God himself. He's a greater Moses. But how God becomes king, what Moses and Elijah were talking with him about, well, the disciples have no category for. Like we're about to see, there's no crown unless there's first a cross. Look at verse 9 and following. As they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say, first Elijah must come? He said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come. And they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. Coming back down the mountain, Jesus gets at the heart of Peter's stumbling block. Why would a Messiah suffer? As they promised to, to zip up their lips as to what they just encountered, their minds are racing. Until the Son of Man is risen from the dead? The heck does this mean? Here he goes again with all this death talk. Even though the Jews hoped in a resurrection, a theology that these three men would have shared, they had no category for a Messiah who would die. This is still a huge stumbling block for Jews today. And it is with this on their minds that they ask him, why do the scribes say Elijah must come first? Now the disciples are not simply asking a chronological question about their theology. The disciples are asking an eschatological, an end time question about the kingdom. Up to this point, Jesus had already told them that John the Baptist is the promised Elijah. He's the one who, according to Malachi, would come and prepare the way for the Lord. What they're struggling with is this. John the Baptist got beheaded, Jesus. How is he, the headless Baptist, restoring all things? He got killed, if this is the great and awesome day of the Lord, then we have two different definitions of awesome Jesus. I get he's your cousin and all, but there's no way John the baptizer has ushered in the great and awesome day of the Lord. So they thought. What Jesus begins to do is to explain to them, to them that the kingdom of God is being ushered in unlike what they may have been taught in Saturday school, they were taught, Jews are taught, that a forerunner to the Messiah is coming. And then when the Messiah shows up together, they will usher in the kingdom once and for all. That this kingdom would be marked by power and victory. 
Jesus says, yeah, that's where you're wrong. You're confusing the first and second coming of the Messiah. He says in our passage, friends, like I've told you, Elijah has come and they did to him whatever they wanted. And likewise, the Messiah also has to suffer. The cross comes before the crown. Jesus is saying, guys, the the promised seed back in Genesis 3 will indeed crush the serpent's skull. I'm going to do that. But remember, in the process, his heel is going to be bruised. A kingdom is coming, guys, but only through a cross. This is the gospel. In the first Exodus, Moses led Israel, the people of God, through the Red Sea, out of slavery from, from Egypt. In Jesus' new Exodus, he likewise, through his sinless life, atoning death, resurrection, and ascension, leads the people of God out of slavery. Slavery to Satan, slavery to sin, slavery to self. Jesus, the the Savior of the world, God's own beloved Son, takes on humanity to become our substitute, to be our victory. What the disciples got to see on this mountain is the full deity of Christ. What they don't quite understand until after his resurrection is that Jesus, this sinless God-man, becomes king only by taking their place, our place, on the cross. The question we must ask ourselves after encountering Jesus in all his glory in the transfiguration, I think is this, so what now? So what? What does that have to do with my life now, today, in 2022? His kingdom's established, and yet we long for it to be consummated, for all things to be made new. That will happen at the second coming. The glory that the, the, glory that the disciples got to see on this mountain, at his second coming, all of us will see, and every knee will bow before the glorious King Jesus. But we live in the in-between. So until then, what now? In light of the transfiguration, how shall we then live? Well, if you're not a follower of Christ, become one. Pledge allegiance to the King of King and Lord of Lords through repentance, turning from yourself, turning from your sin, turning to God and by faith, trusting Christ as your only hope in life and death. Listen to him when he says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And for those of us who are Christians, what's our application? I got two of them. First, behold our God. 
Yes, behold our God. What comes to your mind when you hear the name Jesus? Is the Jesus you experience this Jesus from Mark chapter 9? I was at a Rockies game about a month ago with a couple seminary professors and a close friend of mine who's a PhD candidate. My friend, the theology student, was talking about how according to what we know about the average size of men from Nazareth during the time of Christ, he's probably about five foot six. Because of his vocation, he's probably pretty ripped. He continued on speculating that if in his resurrection body that he'll have for all of eternity, if he's still five six, it might be kind of awkward when I give Jesus a hug for the first time. My friend 6'4". I'd be looking down on my Savior when I hug him, he said. One of the professors, a New Testament scholar, had a smile on his face. And after quite a bit of silence passed, he said, Bro, the only thing you'll be hugging when you see Jesus is the ground. Friends, if we're not careful, we can know a lot about Jesus. All the while, forget that he's not simply a subject to be studied, but a person to be worshipped, to behold. A person who is both fully human like us, yet without sin, And like the disciples saw on this mountain fully and gloriously, God, let us behold our God, church. And as we behold him, another transfiguration occurs. That rare Greek word, metamorpheo, occurs again in another place by the apostle Paul. And it has to do with us and what happens to us when we behold God. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians, we all, this is us, RP, we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed. Metamorpheo. There's our word again. Transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. As we behold our God We begin to look like our God. We begin to look like Jesus. Imagine a church full of people that actually looked like Christ, lived like Christ, listened like Christ, loved like Christ, cared for one another like Christ. Is that not what Parker needs. Is that not what we need? Second application, listen to him. This is what God the Father says to his disciples on the mountain, and this is what he's telling us this morning. There's a lot of noise out there that wants our attention, right? Like, golly, what are you listening to? What are you listening to? Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commandments. 
How can we even know his commandments if we're not listening? After Jesus' resurrection, he, he appears again on another mountain, this time with all of his disciples. And he says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. Are you listening? Go, therefore, Jesus says. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you, even to the end of the age. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. Thank you for your grace, God. Thank you for the transfiguration. Thank you that what was concealed was revealed to the disciples. And though we long for the day that we get to see you face to face, I do pray that you would enlarge our faith to see you for who you are. You're not simply a ticket out of hell. You are God. Lord, help us to be a church that, that lives with reverence and awe. Help us to be a church that, that worships the one true and living God. And help us as we behold Jesus, that we would be transformed into his image. That, that this church in Parker would reflect the glory of Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen.